I'm Brandon Hull, and this is Freelance to Founder. The biggest mistake, I think, is, is people losing sight of the eventual path to profitability or the the discipline that that is imposed when you kind of eat what you kill. And, you know, if you don't have a, a viable business, then you can't succeed. And, and, and really that that ruthless pursuit to get to that product market fit or to that profitability point is what can what should drive everything uh, and often doesn't because i think some of the issues are that you know founders including myself i mean we, we fall in love with our products and, and we're blind to them um so for me my, my blind spot was i was so focused on the user part of things that that we ignored a lot of kind of basic seo blocking and tackling that wouldn't have cost us so much in terms of investment or anything but just that that was not done so we're, we're we've had to you know play catch up in that response Welcome to Freelance to Founder, where I dig into the stories of freelancers and solopreneurs who've scaled their businesses to something much bigger than themselves. In today's episode, I introduce you to Ted Evers, founder of TripTuner at triptuner.com. How do you book your travel? Do you do it direct with airlines or through a service like Expedia or Travelocity or through a travel agent? Well, eight years ago, Ted, an avid traveler himself, he conceived of a more personalized travel shopping experience, but not one where you'd require an exhaustive, invasive, personal profile to be built first. One where you literally tweak six different settings, like you might tweak an equalizer to improve the sound on a stereo system before creating a profile at all. But how did he get the word out in such a cutthroat industry where companies like those that I mentioned dominate search results when you begin your searches for potential trips to make? How did he scale the team with such a techie online service? How has he embraced the lean methodology to scale the business? Ted covers all of this territory as well as sharing lessons learned that aren't just tied to how he built his thing, but important ones for entrepreneurs from different industries. In just one moment, we'll get to my conversation with Ted Evers of TripTuner.com. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Ted Evers, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on Freelance to Founder. Thank you, Brandon. Great to be here. And I'll say right out of the gates that we're totally breaking my the title of my own show, Freelance. This isn't a, your traditional freelance story, but it's an awesome founding story of a company that is in a cutthroat industry. And for that reason, your backstory how you got into this and how you built it in such a difficult industry is, I, I think, a great one for young founders to learn from and whether they're uh, in the software world or building their own agency or anything like that. So that's why I wanted you on the show today. So again, thanks for thanks for joining me. I'm excited to have you. Excited to be here. So um, you are the CEO, as I just introed for everyone, you are the CEO and founder of TripTuner. And it's a triptuner.com. You're in a space that is unbelievably competitive, that being the travel space and um, helping people find just the right package of hotel, flight, and so forth based on their specific preferences. And while that sounds like what a lot of uh, online um, destinations are trying to solve for, you do it in a really unique way. So let's start. We're going to get into that whole story of how you came to build what you've built, but let's start at the present day because you've been doing this for a, a number of years now. Let's start at the present day. What can you tell us about the state of the business today and where things are at as far as your team and growth and that sort of thing? Sure. Well, um, you know, I started out using the lean startup principle uh, and we can talk about that a little bit later. So um, I've, I've used a lot of outsourced resources. So uh, we built it. We've got a virtual team of around 10 people um, globally, really. So I've got an investor in France. We've got people in, in uh, Nicaragua and in Boston, Austin. 
spread out everywhere. And really, I think that, you know, we're living in a unique time where that's possible, number one. But number two, I think people are, are much happier where they're working where they want to be. So I'm a big believer in virtual teams. But overall, as a business, we're profitable and growing. Um, and and then very, very happy to be in the business that we're in because there's still a lot of innovation and I believe an opportunity to, to do what we're doing, which is helping people find ideal destinations and travel experiences based on their interests without having to do a lot of searching around. This, so, so for many people that we've had on the show, their expertise has emerged in a certain either skill or industry, cause, whatever it is. And in some cases, that was very early in their lives. In other cases, it, it well, it might have still been early in their life, but it wasn't until they had started to, to kick off into their career working for this company or that company. In your case, you have been in the travel industry for a long, a long time. Like you didn't start there, but um, you, you, you got into the travel industry relatively soon after you graduated. But can you talk a little bit about, so when you, back, you, were, you went to Harvard University, when you were back in school, is being the founder of your own company something you expected? Is that something that you knew eventually you would ultimately do as far as what industry might have been up for grabs? But is this what you expected of yourself? Uh, at that point, it depends on um, at which point in life. But I mean, going back to my childhood, I definitely think that I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I would always try to come up with some 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 cockamamie ideas. Didn't really execute a lot of them because they were a little bit too big picture, too too dreamy to, for for a young child. But I always wait, wait, wait. Having... What's an example of one of these, Ted? Come on now. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, so you know, we I think after we moved into one of our one of our houses, this must have been maybe third or fourth grade. There was one of those big refrigerator cardboard boxes, and I just wanted to sell stuff. I wanted to create my own pop up store. So I, I carved out a little window and made a shelf and just put my own junk out there and tried to sell it to my to the neighborhood kids. Didn't really pan out so well. Your own, your own little curbside garage sale um, just for Ted. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, 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 it couldn't just be lemonade because lemonade, you know, everyone was doing lemonade. It had to be something different, unique and, and had to have, a you know, a, a variety of offerings. Right. <laughs> So, so, so that's when you knew. Wait a minute! If only someday I can take this, uh, make you know, it big, or something it was like. Discouraging me from doing what I'm, what I'm doing today, but uh, I guess somewhere it stuck. This is this is the '80s, by the way, that you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah. So, so this early, early '80s. Yeah, early '80s. So the, you're this isn't this isn't a kid who's trying to dream up the next Facebook or the or dream up the next uh, Expedia or Travelocity or something like that. This is a guy who's just thinking that this is the way you start your own business as a little as a little tiger. You're just out yeah, on the curb I mean, selling stuff, right? Exactly. The techno technology uh, reference point would be the phone that you have to you know has a, a, a circular dial, you know where. It, you have to like do each number. And if it was a nine, you know, I had to go all the way around. So that that's the technological reference point. And uh, sorry if I'm alienating your rotary dial phones. <laughs> well, I think it'll just give people an appreciation for here. You are now the startup of an internet company that is uh, hyper-focused and capitalizing on personalization, which is a hot topic, the most modern of hot topics uh, online with online businesses. And, you know, it all started with you selling stuff out of the, uh, a box on the side of the road. <laughs> so, um, the, the fact that you got into travel, I think is interesting. You, your earliest career, um, you, you worked initially for, I think for Xerox in marketing. And then finally, uh, maybe did some, uh, some freelance writing or something like that as well, uh, or did that for a couple of years, but before finally getting into the travel industry, um, just a little bit. And, and from what I understand, what, what got you into this whole international lifestyle to begin with was the fact that you couldn't parlay your Harvard Crimson basketball career into an NBA career but did take it overseas, and that's what kicked all of this off. Am I right about that? Uh, you're close. You're close. That you're oh. exactly right. That I failed to get to the NBA. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, I, I always had. Well, I mean, I've always had an interest in in things that were kind of unique and exotic and and, and different. And what really my first, I remember vividly my first international trip, and was very fortunate to have been able to take an international trip. 
probably may have been like 10 years old or something. And I was living in a suburb of New York at the time. I remember going to JFK airport and walking around and just seeing, and, and we grew up in a you know predominantly white affluent suburb of, of New York. And I went to JFK and saw people from all around the world in different garb and colorful clothes and um, all the different races and, and, and everything. And it was just fascinating to me. And it opened up a whole new world that I really wanted to explore. And what about that basketball career? Uh, yeah. Oh, that. So <laughs> we must go there. So I, I did. I played uh, all four years at Harvard and uh, Harvard Crimson were resurging basketball team right now, I might add. Uh, and I went to Germany, to Munich uh, and played semi-pro there. I say semi-pro because it wasn't a lot of money, but hey, I got paid to play basketball right out of college. So, you know, the beer money was was uh, was there. I had a flat in a great city of the world, uh, Munich. And really enjoyed myself. And, and the, the best outcome of that was really uh, I made a, a lifelong friend who I, I still see kind of every year since I played there. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So you, you're giving yourself and maybe I teed this up, uh, giving yourself a hard time about um, your basketball career. But from from all accounts, anybody who's finishing their career with a with a 43 percent three point percentage. I, I, to me, it doesn't matter if you're a starter or if you're coming in off the bench and, and you're firing it up at a 43% clip. That's, that's not too bad, Ted. Kudos to you for Thank that. You. I'll, I'll, I'll t- I don't know where you found those numbers, but I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we've established your, your interest in travel, your, your, your interest in, in um, you know, hitting exotic destinations and, and maybe even developing your own preferences for where you want to go in life, as we all do uh, in some ways. Tell me about the transition from being a, a core employee in the travel industry. And you don't have to go through each job necessarily, but um, your experience in working through uh, a variety of companies in the travel industry and how that, how that was fueling the genesis in your mind for what would become TripTuner. Can you give us that kind of the foundation of, of where the, the gears started turning and why? Absolutely. Well, I, I will actually have to go back before my first job in travel because that really uh, led to it. So I, I had a sales, a successful sales career at, at Xerox selling to the federal government and made enough money to save up uh, rather than buy a house or something and do something smart with it. I, I well, I, I traveled around the world for a year and that was where my kind of passion for travel really accelerated. And on that trip, you know, you have the luxury of choice um, and, and it was exactly that a luxury. And I didn't want to spend the entire time researching. And this was kind of, so the technological reference point here will be the Palm Pilot. And so there was kind of pre-online travel. So I had guidebooks. So I had to figure out, you know, which were the lightest guidebooks to take with me, et cetera. I didn't want to spend the entire trip researching. I wanted to enjoy. And every traveler kind of faces that, that, that balance of, okay, how much research to really enjoy the place or and how much do I spend on actually doing the enjoyment, right? Um, and then you, of course, you have a documenting it, whether writing or taking photos, et cetera. So there's there's all those things going on. And I said, wouldn't it be nice to have, I, I just want someone or something to be able to tell me this place is worth checking out or not. I don't need to know everything about it. I just need to know, you know what, Ted, that, that spot's probably going to be in line with your interests. So that's really the genesis of, of TripTuner. And, and it came from kind of hanging out in a beach in uh, Baja de Lagoa in Brazil where I was plotting my next move through South America. And um, at one point I was like, man, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't want to you know, read up on everything. I'm just kind of go with the flow and try to ask some people for some ideas. So the funny thing about that to me is, is in a day and age when I'm sure plenty of people uh, who are currently planning their trips through tools like uh, a Travelocity, since you mentioned them, or an Expedia or something along those lines here in the or States. Uh, or trip to well, I'm saying in the past where where right. this might have been the the way they went about it previously. When they, they were dreaming of a solution like trip. That's that's right because got it, got it. the overwhelm overwhelming choice. Um, you know, you go to, you go to a, an Expedia page or something like that, and and you're bombarded with things that you need to know and do and explore, and it's almost the whole idea of a spaghetti, uh, the spaghetti against the wall, that proverbial thing where if we throw enough against the wall, maybe something on this page will strike their fancy, they'll like it or whatever. As opposed to, you know, what, what where you start with people, which is the idea of, all right, what are your preferences in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area? Tweak them a little bit. And based on that 
algorithm, that, that self-imposed algorithm, like you're creating your own personal algorithm, um, will present to you things that match what you just said you're looking for. And I've done this, this numerous times on the site. And I think what's cool about it is it it's re, it's showing me places that I've not heard of, places that I've I've not familiar with, and um and that's with me not even choosing. There's an option to choose urban versus remote with me not even getting too aggressive with remote because I don't want to be someplace where I feel like I could be literally the only person from a safety standpoint without even being that clever. Um, it shows me places all over the world and I can refine it, I know, but um, that I had not thought about. So to turn this into a question, <laughs> um, is was were you trying to be sort of the anti- online travel agency solution because you had lived that for a number of years post Xerox and you wanted a solution that's much more I'm in control as the user as opposed to I already have to know what I have in mind. What was the the idea of flipping the script a little bit on how to help somebody find the best or ideal destination? Sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, and, you know, through my career working at places like Site 59 and Travelocity and eDreams, um, a lot of the OTAs, the the process was similar, right? You had to know where you're going, when you're going, with whom you're going. If you're taking your kids, they want to know your ages. And when you almost think about it, it's kind of like, could you imagine a person asking someone that? It's, it's like the overly aggressive salesman, right? Yeah, and exactly. Like you haven't you earned the right to ask me that yet. Like, I don't even know you. Why are you asking, right. asking talking about my kids? So, um well, what I saw was just a lot of a lot of conformity and commoditization. So the average site is looks the same, right? And and we've they've evolved a certain way because a lot of them have been designed for Googlebot, so understandably, so they can be um, searchable and and recognized and indexed. But I wanted to create something that was exactly that user centric, that a user would have fun using, and that would give them a range of options. And I made a couple of big bets. I said people would rather look at photos rather than read a lot of text. Um, they'd rather have a single page experience than have to click around for multiple points of, uh, of, of their preferences and, um, that it would be instantaneous that they wouldn't have to kind of wait for results. So that's, I think we've achieved that, but that was a, definitely a conscious, uh, intentional part of the design process, looking at what's out there and trying to create something that wasn't being, what I felt was not being addressed by, by anything that's out there in the marketplace. So that's we've we've described the and what I was describing was the today experience for TripTuner and you're reinforcing that. But if we haven't stated very explicitly, TripTuner has been around for eight years now. You left a a good gig, good situation in the travel industry to start this company up. And um, I'm really curious, what was eight years ago? What was the first version of TripTuner like? I have a feeling it was a similar concept because I know what your um, what you were trying to accomplish with it back then. I didn't know you back then, but I know I've read what you were trying to accomplish with it back then. It's the same sure. um, uh, thing, it's experience you're trying to fulfill today. But what was the experience like for a customer back then versus what web technologies allow you to do today, eight years later? Sure. Well, it, it wasn't it wasn't responsive cer certainly. So you know, designed for a desktop, designed for a much smaller screen. Um, the photos weren't as large. Um, we did have the sliders. Uh, there was a what is the the there's a design term that was very popular back then. I think it was skeuomorphic, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, maybe okay. Where you wanted to try to recreate real life things uh, digitally. So you know, Apple was was doing it for a while until it wasn't cool anymore. Um, so we had these these sliders that looked exactly like a stereo equalizer and they would have, you know, the thumb indentations where you could move them up and down. So, you know, from a design standpoint, from a basic uh, overall approach though, that concept of having these dual mode sliders where it's not just the intensity of, of one particular attribute, but where it's a balance between two attributes was very intentional. And that was kind of core to the idea because you know, taking a look at, we wanted to create something that was more conversational in a sense. So when you, if I'm if we're just hanging out, talking about our vacations, you say, well, I'd like to go relax somewhere, but you know, my, my partner or my wife or spouse can't stand sitting still on the beach. So we need something a little bit in, in between, right? Because preferences are not all or none. And so much of what's out there on the web is just tagged in a binary format. So, but as we know, 
a beach is not a beach. There's a lot of big, big difference between, you know, number of people there, how big are the waves, what is all those nuances um, that are part of this whole kind of experiential zeitgeist that's out there now where people are looking for these, these, these uh, personalized authentic experiences. You need a way to kind of grab that in a very nuanced way um, without really knowing anything about a traveler because people do it so infrequently or not as frequently as they're interacting with say Instagram every day. Uh, and then you need to make it very, very palatable and, and quick because attention spans are short. So that's what we set out to, to accomplish. So as it's evolved, it's become responsive. The images become larger. It's, it's become faster. We've been able to do, um, uh, have been more of an omni-channel approach. So people have used it for some of our clients where we have white label licensing partners. That's also an evolution um, into our business model that we can get into, but um, they've used it for, for advertising campaigns as well. Well, uh, so and by the way, this is funny also because you know, over the last ten years, online travel agencies has co have come to dominate search results um, when people are just beginning their travel plans. Right? They're they're just they're just now starting to think through where should we go. We've got a vacation coming up, or I've got, I've got time I want to cash in. I've got we've got our anniversary coming up, or something like that, and. All of the online travel agencies um, optimized for that search experience, whereas it sure feels like you optimize for somebody who is um, needing sort of to be guided in a little bit more handheld way, and they are not doing the search from I need to look for specific places in uh, in you know in and around Barcelona or something like that. Right? Y you have something. I'm not saying you haven't optimized a little bit for that as well, but I'm suggesting that your primary experience is a logged out experience that features those dials or those those uh, sliders, as you say, and has always featured that. I brought up a page from uh, 2010, by the way, <laughs> right. where, where wow. I can see your mixer dials. You know, if you're looking like at a mixer exactly. as a DJ or something like that, and the dials are, uh, they look visually different, but the experience is still exactly the same, which is you have six criteria to consider and the slider is based on those six criteria which tells me that over time you have learned that people narrow things down to really these six specific experiences when you when you first when you first got trip tuner going because you had a massive task and chore ahead of you again going against these um the online travel agencies for whom you had worked who have done so well with um, uh, capitalizing on search Google searches? How did you how did you get the word out early on about a new web property like this that didn't just offer a, a similar result, which is you've now booked your trip, but a totally different experience to do that? How did you? What was the what were the first steps you took back then? Well, it was we were really focused on the product, so um, part of the part of the thing about launching something as a lean startup as well is that you don't really have the resources to do a lot of marketing, right? So we were a very, very small team trying to do everything. And we were really laser focused on getting the product right. So like, and, and I didn't really have many expectations about there being, you know, the launch in capital terms. Um, you know, we wanted to, to get something out there and see if it worked. And the main uh, sources for publicity really were just everything that you might imagine, you know, emailing all your family and friends. Uh, we did, probably didn't do, we didn't do a lot of the, um, you know, coming soon and try to launch people up so that they can be part of the first beta launch. So that could have been an opportunity, but um, it's also probably not necessarily my, my style. You know, yeah. I, I'd rather, rather than kind of playing games, I like to show people here's what we, here's what we're about. And, uh, we're, we're just completely open, which is why you don't have to, you know, you get results when you load the page on TripTuner, you'll see results. You don't have to wait for anything. Right. So, so that was intentional. And then fortunately we, um, actually, uh, my editor, uh, at large, Franz Wisner, who's a New York times bestselling author. Um, he's got a, a pretty good audience, but he was able to get us noticed by the New York Times, which was looking for kind of new travel websites out there. And we were named one of the top 10 travel websites by the New York Times. And that, of course, led to a ton of traffic, a ton of user feedback. And most importantly, it gave us the, the confidence that what we, we built something that people actually would use and, and liked. And people who have influence, people who know a good experience, travel planning experience when they see one too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, someone who's 
searching out for articles on the best travel websites are probably going to be very uh, avid travelers or, you know, experts, or at least have used a lot of them and be web savvy. So we really appreciated that feedback. And, uh, you know, to this day, it still, still gives us traffic. Right. Now you said that you've kind of uh, adopted the lean methodology and how you've initially built and even eight years later, how you continue to evolve trip tuner in the early years. Um, were there things that you did specifically decision-making wise that turned down maybe some of the uh, recommendations that were made to you about what you needed to do to do next because you felt so um, convinced that going about things, building things your way was important. Were there other temptations to do more, uh, to, to grow it in other ways, to hire your first growth officer or to, you know, bring some of the web development internally and hire these four people or something like that. Was there ever temptations to do to kind of pivot and do things a little bit differently operationally yeah i think well one of them there, there are a number of them there's always temptations and opportunities out there for founders and that's one of the key jobs for a founder is to maintain that focus and really make those decisions and think about them very carefully i think the thing that we postponed to this day we don't have an app and i think for me I just wanted to get the user experience right and knowing that there were all the responsive technologies that were out there uh, would be beneficial and that those would only improve. Um, we, we really kind of haven't had to do an app. And um, now, of course, the app store is just crowded with, with so many different ones. So that's a whole different ecosystem that you have to have a concerted uh, effort and marketing approach. And it's just a lot more costly now. The, the costs have come down. But um, what we've realized is that we just haven't, um, that, that's something that we, we skipped. You know, in hindsight, it would be great to have one. But um, it's something that we sort of eschewed in, in, in favor of just going from kind of a web app only uh, approach or perspective. Has that also been based on what you know about your users over the years, the demographics of your users, the preferences of your users, or not so much? <laughs> No, it was it was really just financial reality. I mean, in the early years, uh, it was just we we couldn't afford to build a build a web app um, or excuse me a, a native a native app. And then as we've grown, we there hasn't been a a huge need for doing that. And then the other the other big suggestion was, hey Ted, you should you know add every single flight and hotel et cetera, and make people you know so that they can not only get ideas but they can also purchase them on your site et cetera, and that's just a very uh, naive approach that a lot of early of these kind of trip planning or, or inspiration type startups took was assuming that you can get consumer traction. And I knew that was probably where my OTA experience really came in handy, where if you don't have, you know, hundred million dollars in marketing to be top of mind for consumers, it's just so hard to be found. Um, if you look at some of the successful startups that are out there, they've, they've carved out a niche. So you look at hotel tonight, which is really more of a mobile only or mobile first platform but also used you know, Facebook and social media to a large extent to build its base before it even launched. Those sort of niche plays are very smart, but um, in terms of building a, a consumer-facing app, um, I, I had to build it to ensure that we knew people would use it and that it was, was beneficial, but I wasn't under any delusions that it was going to become a huge um, commercial success from a B2C standpoint, at least. Um and I think that that what you have spent most of your time, I, I don't know this, uh, you can, I'm going to turn this into a question, but what it feels like you have spent a fair amount of your time, if not most of your time, getting just right is the recommendation engine behind this. Because if I make even the most subtle tweaks to my choices in one of the six criteria, then that dramatically changes the matches that you provide to me. And to me, that is like the 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 feature that's ultimately unique to TripTuner and makes the experience in travel completely different. And I'm not trying to turn this into a huge TripTuner commercial per se, but it's that piece that people struggle with the most is options. Uh, I, I could think that it would be neat to go to Barcelona, but what if there's four other places that are near or similar that are really different? and provide a, a little bit different experience because I prefer to be a little bit away from the hustle and bustle, for example. So over time, how has how have you gone behind the scenes to build an experience that you feel confident will deliver something entirely unique and different from a recommendation standpoint, that engine, 
versus how you think many others in the travel industry go about it, building a similar type of uh, recommendation experience? I think a lot of the solutions that are out there now are still based on that archaic binary tagging formula, right? So they have, this is tagged beach, this is tagged family friendly, there's different gradations. And that's where we've kind of really excelled. And that's why it's very intentional that when you adjust one of these preference sliders between say something that's more family friendly versus something that's more uh, romantic or, or, or kind of without the kids oriented, you will see those options update immediately based on a percentage match. That's uh, you know the match uh, to your preferences, but it's not a filter. So what we're doing is we're just kind of sorting and ordering things in order of relevance to kind of keep that inspirational aspect. So we're not saying that, oh, this is the only thing for you, but here are some suggestions. And oh, by the way, if you're, you know, maybe willing to make some trade-offs that the sliders themselves provide the context, and then the, the user can see, oh, well, maybe if I want something a little bit more remote, that changes my options. And today's traveler, I think, is just much more, because travel has, you know, the the, the number of options of, of the ways of getting there. I mean, with like low-cost carriers, you look like um, it's, it's a lot more affordable for everyone. People are also changing their minds and are more open to to going to new places. So uh, we want to help them um, make those decisions and discover those places that they might not have thought of before. But how do you actually build the experience behind the scenes? Not to get too techie, but sure. if somebody if somebody had in mind to do something in a in a different industry that was recommendation based, um, but also not based on somebody's actual behavior per se, other, other than choosing, you know, the tweaking the, the, the choices, what did that, how did that change or impact how you needed to build this from a tech standpoint in order to offer up that kind of experience to people? And, and, and where, where did that expertise come from? Because that is not the world that you came from they, the, to build things that way. Sure. Well, I think the the initial expertise, which was just to kind of catalog the world's destinations, just came from that around the world trip that I had and some some of the experiences of some of the other you know collaborators on the project early on, where we knew some of these destinations inside and out. And I think a big part of that was just being able to say this one might be more remote than that one. So in the initial stages, everything was more along the lines of a qualitative approach, which which is still used today by a lot of leisure travel companies where they're they're going out and they're saying, okay, here's the type of destinations we have. These were more family friendly, where you know, kind of like a travel agent would guide uh, right. guide you along those things. And as we've grown, we've been able to take more kind of and, and as the, the the number of data sources has grown, we can go out there and take something uh like you know, the reviews of a particular place or an experience. Um, we can look at, you know, obviously statistical data, how how the population density of a place, we can tap into all these different data sources, of course, pricing and weather, and um, have a nice blend of both the qualitative data and the inputs as well as the quantitative. Um, and, and over time, that's what we've refined kind of on the back end to make sure that our our recommendations are, are, are most in line with what someone might want. Right. And I, like I said, I don't want to get too much on the, the techie side of it. I think it's just, it's it's fascinating to me especially now that you've been into this for eight years, it's fascinating to me that you've built something that is so hyper-personalized and yet you haven't asked me for any personal information yet. You haven't asked me to connect my Facebook account right out of the gates. You haven't, I mean, you've allowed that obviously as a sign-up option, but you haven't asked me to to fill in some uh, deep questionnaire. You haven't um, observed all of my behaviors on your website. All you're giving me are six options to tweak that experience and personalize it. And I think what's fascinating about it is there are some circles um, online social in, on social networks right now where there's a lot of debate happening today about how private our lives should be and versus how much we have to give up in order to get anything personalized for us. As, as the eight years have gone by since you have run TripTuner, how have you seen that conversation shaping the travel industry and how you should approach the building of your product to kind of either meet that, capitalize on it, but maybe not be too creepy? How, how does the privacy factor focus, uh, or not focus, but how does the privacy factor play into how you want to build TripTuner experience for your customers? Right. Well, it, it we, we kind of stumbled into that as a benefit because of all of the, you know, the Cambridge Analytica and all, all these other kind of... Um, 
issues and events that have come about with with privacy and sharing your data. You know, statistically, people still say that if there's some benefit, they'll they're willing to share information. But right. when we first started, there wasn't um, a lot of that capability out there. You know, um, to to do uh, to do a lot with the data, but that was still part of the, the vision, uh, which, which is still to this day is to really give people a lot without having to do a lot. So don't put me through all these hurdles to, to sign up or sign in just to do a simple task. I'm here to find a destination, make it easy for me. So we wanted to remove as many hurdles. So in doing so, we kind of backed into this, this whole backlash now with consumer privacy, where, you actually, yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't, we don't need to know anything about a user and they can go and put their preferences about how they're feeling now. And when we talk about personalization, I, I think that we're still not, we're still not there. And it gets talked about into buzzword because we haven't achieved it yet. You know, a lot of the solutions that are out there have been based on your past behavior and what you did before. Um, and what we're about is, is getting at what people are into now, how they're feeling now, what their mood is. Um, and then ultimately, obviously, we want to see what their aspirations of where they want to be. But I think for now, there's a big enough challenge for companies to figure out uh, and give ways for people to, to say what they want in this moment. And is that factored into even your marketing at all? Have you factored that into not only how the, the customer experience is on the page, but um, you evangelize TripTuner fantastically and we should talk about that actually as well you speak all over the place all over the world about travel and travel trends and so forth um has that factored into your communication uh to the market and what they should expect from their travel agents their travel partners um the the tools they use to travel is this an important part of the trip tuner uh brand yeah, absolutely. I think the it's you know we started out saying we're user centric and we're going to design from a user uh, centric point of view and what they might see versus what a, a a search engine robot might see. And I think from a an emotional standpoint, you know, we want to be a tool for that puts users in control, in control of their preferences. So, which I think is very much lacking now. And and because of all these recommendations that we get that kind of sometimes make you ask, wait, why am I seeing this? If you have to ask that, then that message, that marketing message is a miss. And, and at the very least it's a miss. And at, at the worst, it could be an abuse of your, of your privacy and the data that you've somehow unknowingly shared with some, some company somewhere. And we want to be the brand that's known for putting users in control and our, our it's right there in our mission where, you know, we want to inspire people to engage and connect with the world so that they can create their own path. Because ultimately, we believe very strongly that people want to be the authors of their own stories. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people calling with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, 
that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn jobs. I've used it myself and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You came from a world that was so search driven and have left that and almost, I guess you can almost say rejected it in some ways because it's, it's, that's the, yeah. that's the way a lot of those industries uh, or a lot of those companies, the online travel agencies work is heavily off of uh, search, uh, organic search traffic. What, what is the prime, what are the primary channels for you to make people aware of TripTuner sufficiently enough for this to do well eight years later? What would you say today are the best ways for, for travelers en masse to find out about TripTuner and um, to do it well enough that, it, you know, it's a, it's successful eight years later? So first of all, from there, there's um, two 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 marketing approaches that we take. You know, one of them is the direct consumer, and the other one is the the B two B. So I mentioned earlier, we do have a white label licensing business where we're powering the inspiration section of of a number of different travel brands around the world, from OTAs like Cheap Tickets and eBookers to airlines like Qatar Airways to destinations like. Uh, the Bahamas or, or visit Florida. So the primary way where people probably will find TripTuner first would be through one of our partners, I would imagine, since they are larger and have more marketing campaigns. And then from a consumer's perspective, it's really, we've, we haven't done a lot of paid marketing, but it's really been through word of mouth and through a, a ton of earned media that we've uh, received over the years. That's that's uh, fantastic. <laughs> it's It's great that you're able to kind of, uh, I don't want to say turn your back on, but um, downplay the role of Google when so many companies, and I mean search, organic search, when so many companies feel like if they're if they're not found doubling down that way, well, then all is lost. <laughs> so, you know, with content marketing efforts and all that sort of thing. But it sounds like partnerships, white label partnerships and um, and paid search has been a, a key key component for you though that's pr- rather, that's pretty cool organic. yeah rather organic rather than paid church yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. Earn, earn media and then um i also you know i left out so as part of the partnership you know you'd mentioned I, I go to a lot of conferences and having been in the industry a number of years have had a lot of established relationships so being able to leverage that network in terms of finding um, new opportunities for creating new partnerships has, has been indispensable as well and that's really what kind of got us uh you know our first uh, uh, our first business well while you did while you did come into TripTuner with a significant expertise in the travel industry, not just travel trends and so forth, and a lot of founders may get into something just because they see a, an opportunity or a pain point or something like that or uh, a gap with other offerings in an industry or something along those. You came with expertise in that industry longstanding. Um, d- despite that, when you look at other companies that are being started today, founded today, do you feel like some are missing the boat on the ways they go about building their thing um, in terms of either the way they approach the market, the way they ap- approach the customer experience online, um, how quick they rush to uh, building an app when they may not need to do that? Like, Do you see mistakes being made a lot that you run through the filter of your experience with TripTuner and think, you know, it doesn't have to be that way? Yeah, I think, well, as a bootstrap startup, I think the, the, the biggest mistake, I think, is, is people losing sight of the eventual path to profitability or the the discipline that that is imposed when you kind of eat what you kill. And, you know, if you don't have a, a viable business, then you can't succeed. And, and, and really that that ruthless pursuit to get to that product market fit or to that profitability point is what can what should drive everything uh, and often doesn't because i think some of the issues are that you know founders including myself i mean we, we fall in love with our products and, and we're blind to them um so for me my, my blind spot was i was so focused on the user part of things that that we ignored a lot of kind of basic seo blocking and tackling that wouldn't have cost us so much in terms of investment or anything but just that that was not done so we're, we're we've had to you know play catch up in that response so that was a blind spot for us so i think falling in love with the product i've seen a lot of companies spend so much on the product without really testing it from a user perspective and some of the startups that are out there i you know i'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll use their app i'll use their product and and for for the next trip that i'm taking 
and I, I'm often let down. And I think, you know, when we think, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that are made about what the product has to be in order to, to be perfect. And I think the pursuit of that often takes founders eyes off the ball of finding something that the customer will use and value. Are you suggesting that, that founders should be less concerned about the pursuit of perfection and more about the pursuit of just good, just good enough where they're delighting customers, but they're also uh, not obsessing over details that may not really impact conversions of customers, that sort of thing? Absolutely. Find, I mean, it's, that's why this, you know, the whole lean startup principle talks about a, um, and it's nothing new, right? I mean, it's, it's just basically don't let your expenses get ahead of your, of, of your revenue and don't build something that people might not want. And, and you create this minimum viable product, which is to, to create something that, that can give you, um, you know, the, the least amount of, of development that's required to give you some sense of whether or not you're on the right, the right path. And how do you keep yourself in check with that now that you're you're not really a startup anymore, and you're 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 a mature company? You've been around a number of years. You're a known brand. Uh, through through testing, um, a lot of different testing, whether it's A/B testing or user testing. Um, you know, not rolling out a product until it's it's been tested in in a limited sense, or you know, that gives us enough data to, to determine whether or not it will proceed. Um, but then, you know, as you grow, you have the benefit of that experience where those those tests become less risky because you're informed with some of the things that have happened in the past and you can kind of, uh, shortcut some of that process a little bit, but, um, but never, never assuming that what you, what you think will be, uh, you, you have to assume that you're going to be wrong. That's, that's one of the best pieces of advice that I, I got while well, starting my business. So is that be wrong? Assume that, assume that you're not going to have enough money and assume that it's going to take you know twice as long as you think. And it's been absolutely true on, on all, res- all respects in my it, experience. Does that suggest that you should trust your hunches, but trust them enough that that means you put them to the test as opposed to trust them so much that you just double down and you invest in them entirely or something? Well, like my accountant who wants to see the receipts, uh, trust but verify. So you, you, ha- you, know, you absolutely have to trust your instincts. And, there, and there's a lot, especially when you're starting out, you don't have a lot of data to go by. You have to go by your instincts. Fortunately, I had excuse me, a lot of, a lot of industry experience where, um, I, these weren't just like, these were informed guesses or hypotheses. So you have to ultimately, um, believe in your overall vision, but the ways of getting to that vision, uh, it's really interesting. You have to, you have to trust that that way, um, may not be, you, you, it may not be visible to you. You may not be able to plan it out, the uh, analogy is is like ways, right? Using ways. So you you put your destination into ways, and then ways takes care of the rest. Um, you, you know you'll get there. You don't know how because it could could change and update, but um, you know you'll get there. So you have to have that that ultimate vision, and then you have to be open to uh, that plan changing a lot along the way. What would be an example of something that you have tested and has gone well? So one of the initial things was I wanted to make sure that it was inspirational and uh, the the decision not to have specific prices as part of the the preference process was to keep people into that um, more emotional side of the brain rather than the Mm. rational side of the brain. Right. Because we wanted to keep that dreaming experience. So when one of our our, our first OTA partners um, came to us and they said, Ted, we'd like to put the price in the results. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical and I was, I was nervous because I didn't want to raise that. Cause once you start thinking price, it, you know, your brain kind of tenses up a little bit because then you, then, you know, you're thinking about reality when you, when you're, when you're dreaming, that's not reality. <laughs> we wanted to create a dreaming tool, right. uh, which, which doesn't, you know, doesn't really exist out there in the travel world. We get way down to the practical too, too quickly. So, uh, and I assumed that it would flop and I was hundred percent wrong. Um, it actually <laughs> increased utilization, increased conversion. And I knew that kind of from an OTA perspective, but I was trying to go the opposite of what we had learned. You know, price always is going to increase interest and conversion because it makes it real. real. Um, so what we found was that we've we've been able to, to blend the two in a way that still captures that imagination, that dreaming, that inspiration aspect, but that um, that makes it practical so that you not only find the, the, the ideal destination, but wow, I can go and actually click and book it and be there. Right. And, and not to get too nerdy about it, but that tells me that 
that you have discovered that customers are not always hovering in that dream state, even if they're not ready to book something right now. They may they may dip down and just want a little reality check on those numbers, and then they want to hover back up into inspiration stage or something like that. Is that is that safe to say? You're absolutely right. Um, and I think that, you know, the customer journey that this linear process that we've we've all kind of grown accustomed to, uh, I think, is has disappeared. And just for the, for the main reason of the technology out there now, you can book anything on your phone right now if you get the inspiration. So that gap between inspiration and booking has has shrunk um, because you can see something on Instagram and then go and, and, and book a flight there. So, so it's, uh, you have to accommodate for that, that change in user behavior. That's, that's fascinating to me. That part alone is, is, uh, is fascinating to me. So, um, the way, and we never covered this, I can't believe I never covered this with you, but as I, as I consider the trip tuner customer experience and your story for how you had to build it, how you had to go about building it from a technology standpoint, technological standpoint, and from a marketing standpoint, what TripTuner is and what the experience that it provides people, um, it makes me think of a multitude of ways that you could potentially have chosen to make money through TripTuner, what its, what its primary business model is. Can you, can you talk through the decisions that you made or how you thought through the different ways that you could monetize TripTuner, the obvious ones versus the less obvious, and how that, if that's evolved over the years? No, it definitely has evolved. I mean, when we first started out, um, actually before launching TripTuner, you know, I wanted to find a way to test the, the concept. Um, and ultimately we had to just build it to, to see. Um, but I wanted to see, I wanted to learn everything I could about that inspiration phase, but directly from customers. So when you're working for an OTA, you don't really see the customer, right? You just see the booking, you see the aggregate data and everything. So I, I actually got an IATA license, uh, became a travel agent, and for friends and family and, and actually some, some strangers, I acted as a travel agent for some of their, from their trips. And um, that really gave me some, some insight into how people are thinking at that, at that stage, what are some of the criteria uh, and how that might inform um, the, the process and the content and, and approach that we take at TripTuner. So initially, um, I, I, I didn't want to be a, a, a traditional travel agent in, in a sense, but I, I wanted to have that uh, the ability to to have that personal touch after right. someone has discovered a destination, that personal touch to walk you through. So, and and given technology and the ability to to help people and communicate with people, which is done now, by the way, you know, via chatbots or by companies very successfully, but didn't exist back then. I said, I want to create a subscription model again. No surprise, um, everyone's doing it now, where you could pay a certain amount per month and then get a certain amount of support for your travel inquiries um, mm -hmm. and, and what what that might entail with the, you know the higher end one being more kind of detailed personalized itineraries. And you know the idea was that over time we could kind of automate that process, use technology to make it less handholding. Um, and it failed miserably. <laughs> um, you know, people, of course, you know, your friends, first of all, are the, are the worst people to ask about your startup. So, so definitely take that because they, they're all going to love it and they're all going to say, oh, oh the, you know, they'll do it. And then you'll turn around and see them like unsubscribing from your email. Um, you know, so, uh, so that's going to happen, but so that, that part failed. Um, but, uh, you know, some, some companies are doing it now with, I guess, some limited success. So it may have just been ahead of its time. Um, but what it really taught me was that, just to kind of focus on what we're good at and what we're good at is that inspiration piece and getting people um, inspired to, to go to a certain place. And now that we have through our partners, a lot of that backend functionality where they can take the booking uh, use, using their offers, um, we found a good, a good home for, for what we're doing. So this, this is um, uh, all of that you've described about the trip tuner experience and how it was fueled by the desire to sort of, I don't want to say mimic, because you didn't phrase it quite like that, the, the, the way a real travel agent would work with somebody as far as getting to know somebody and that factors into the recommendations that they're going to make and that sort of thing. This is patented technology now that you've built this on, yes? Yes. Yeah, and, we got a patent a couple of years ago. And what does, what, does the, what does the patent cover specifically that makes it, that, you know, that covers the secret sauce of this? Patents are public, but they're not public, and you you know <laughs> rely on them being not so public to to help maintain whatever you know. So it's a 
double-edged sword there, the, the patent. So we're, we're happy to have it, but it, it basically deals with, and, and I, it's, um, it just basically deals with helping people, you know, using these these kind of continuum based sliders to help people find ideal options for their for their product choice, whether that's a, a hotel, whether it's a destination, whether it's a, a pair of shoes. Uh, it could be applied to virtually anything because this this whole kind of issue of paradox of choice, a number of different areas of our of our day to day lives. Yeah. Um, just one point about the the travel agent piece is that where it actually helps it, it it mimics but it does not replace in the sense that we we actually now work with some travel agents who are using trip tuner as a way of narrowing down the options for their clients so that they can focus on helping them make that booking because you know from a, a salesperson perspective i mean or a travel agent perspective you can um have people who are trying to make up their mind and that doesn't necessarily uh, help you if you're trying to get business or if you have to generate a quote. So by using TripTuner, it helps helps them narrow down the options into a, a few of them, so the travel agent can then make a, a guided recommendation from there. As well as finding places that they were they were just not going to be aware of. They, you can't be aware of every remote uh, you know place that's out Absolutely. there. Absolutely, right? and and not only that, but from a travel agent perspective, it's great because a lot of these destinations aren't the tried and true ones there where you can just kind of go and book it on your own. Yep. That you're probably going to want the assistance of a professional to to help you with that experience. Interesting. And it's funny you you elaborated a little bit more on the travel agent experience because my next question was going to be, do we need travel agents today if the experience can be mimicked really well and with technology that is fascinating with the way it can be tweaked in such small ways to to build up recommendations for us? And then we're just clearly one step away from the booking experience. But do we need them anymore today? I think you've answered that, obviously, but anything more you want to add on that? No, I just think that they will always be around to the extent that they add value. And I, I think there's still, you know, people, uh, humans telling stories to humans has been around for thousands of years. We'll continue. That's why we're here on a podcast. And part of that exploring your, your travel options will be there. Um, we just want to help further that conversation along. So it provides context. And so that those conversations can be more productive, whether they happen online or offline. Very cool. All right. So as you, I won't ask you to share, you know, deep uh, confidential secrets about your master plans for dominating tra uh, travel going forward. However, as you look ahead to, to travel trends that you're aware of, and I know you stay deeply in touch with them, as you look ahead over the next uh, and foresee and try to picture what the, the traveler, the, the modern traveler's experience will, uh, expectations will be over the next year or so, what do you imagine you'll have to uh, add as elements of the trip tuner experience to kind of modernize that? I don't want to say modernize it, to, to kind of peer into the future, to be prepared for the future, to future-proof it. What do you think that you'll need to do with trip tuner's customer experience to, to be in touch with future travel trends? Sure. I, I think, well, number one, you always have to be continuously innovating. So making things faster, making things more user-friendly, more of a seamless, uh, frictionless is a term that's that's used a lot, uh, type of experience. And part of that involves enabling TripTuner to be a part of a lot of the platforms that are used today globally. Uh, so, you know, travel is only done a couple of times a year, for, you know, even more for, for those who are lucky enough to do it. But if we can make trip tuner a part of some of the more day-to-day -day type experiences, um, whether that's through APIs, whether it's at partnerships with certain platforms um, to help raise the awareness, but also provide a very valuable function of narrowing down those options. Um, and again, it doesn't necessarily have to be just travel, but um, to be able to um, more seem in a more seamless way, integrate with some other partners and, and to be more ubiquitous for lack of a better term. It what's, What's cool about that is you didn't suggest anything from a technology standpoint that you're going to have to bolt on. You don't think clearly like a technologist per se, at least in that answer. You, you, didn't, you didn't suggest that you think like a technologist and there's certain ways that you're going to have to build the site in order to accommodate this type of thing or that type of thing. You're still thinking a little bit like a, what is the customer? What is the traveler going to expect and how can I meet that experience? I think that's kind of neat, by the way.
Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that's definitely intentional because you can talk a lot about the different tools that are out there, whether it's voice, whether it's uh, AI. I mean, AI has been around. These are all tools for achieving your business goals. So I think you have to focus on the business goals and then the tool you select the tools that will get you there. Really cool. All right. So, Ted, you've been generous with your time. You've been tender. You've been generous with uh, my technical issues, <laughs> but but I want I want to I want to I want to let you go, but not before we've completed my final segment here with you, which is the three in one segment. I warned you about it. I didn't want you to be able to prepare for it. However, uh, are you ready to answer my rapid fire three questions? And hopefully, we'll we'll well I'll I'll challenge you to have to think a little bit deeply, but on the spot as well. Are you ready for it? Sure, bring it. All right. So question number one is, I, I want to hear from you one principle or value that you believe in that most people don't. A principle or value I believe in that most people don't. Embrace your fears. That's beautiful. How about one behavior or habit that you try to stick to no matter your circumstances? Believe in yourself. Boy, this matter. If I can just say, as an aside, real quick, this matches up really, really well with this whole idea of building a business built on inspiration uh, yeah, <laughs> and exploring exploration. Takes a lot of inspiration to do that. <laughs> All right, and the last one: one person that you either take your cues from in life, or maybe are inspired by. Uh, my father. My, my late father, absolutely. Uh, he always encouraged me to pursue my dreams um, and then figure out a way to make money at it. And I, I think I've been able to to do that so far and look forward to f- continuing to figure that out as I go along. That, that's an awesome answer. Ted, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. That was the story of Ted Evers, founder of TripTuner at triptuner.com. Next week, folks, it will be my final episode hosting Freelance to Founder. I cannot wait to share it with you. More on the details next week, but I'll introduce you to the, quote, capitalist with a hippie heart, unquote, Mr. Ever Gonzalez, founder of Outlier Headquarters. He's a former transportation industry guru and now entrepreneurial event leader who's amassed an amazing following in a niche industry. All right, thank you to my co-producer, Preston Lee, founder of Milo and admin of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our incredible assistant, Bilal Abrar, for helping make this podcast possible. And of course, to our friends at the Podglomerate Network. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Freelance to Founder. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.